Welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Nations Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne, wishing you a National Hispanic Heritage Month, which is from September 15th to October 15th. Why, do you ask? Does it start in the middle of the month? Well, that has to do with uh, the, the month's own history, which started in 1968 as Hispanic Heritage Week. Uh, it was then expanded to a month in 1988. Uh, September 15th, when it starts, is an important day historically in that it's when uh, Central American countries, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua all gained independence. Uh, Mexican Independence Day is September 16th, and Chile's is September 18th, so there is a lot of Hispanic heritage to celebrate this month. There is also, of course, a lot of Hispanic heritage to celebrate every month, Uh, and sometimes I wonder about the efficacy of having these special months. I'd really like to talk to people of all shapes and sizes all the time. But we have not yet reached a point in our society when that happens organically. So it really does make sense to shine uh, a light on different aspects of the American and global community at different times of year. Uh, And that's what my guest today, Richard Sandoval, wanted to do. Uh, He is the boss of Richard Sandoval Hospitality which operates around 60 restaurants around the world. And uh, he, he runs a variety of different restaurants. He's, he's Mexican, but it's not just Mexican food, of course. And he didn't even start out making Mexican food. He started out, as many chefs do, uh, cooking French food. But uh, when he came to the United States, uh, he was struck at the fact that the food that was billed as Mexican wasn't really Mexican. And so that helped uh, get his juices flowing and to bring a wider variety of uh, Mexican cuisines to uh, the American public and then to the broader public at large. Uh, I could go on and talk about everything that he's done, but uh, I'm going to let him do that instead because we had a whole conversation about it. It being... National Hispanic Heritage Month, however, I would like to invite all sorts of uh, listeners, Hispanic or otherwise, if you are running restaurants or, or in sort of adjacent fields and would like to be on this podcast, you don't need a huge organization behind you. You don't need a publicist or anything like that. You can just email me. Uh, I have multiple email addresses, but the easiest one to write down is bthorn at nrn.com. That's b-t-h-o-r-n at nrn.com. I'm easy to find and I'm eager to talk to a wide variety of different people who have stories to tell but might not have a PR machine behind them. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Richard Sandoval. How are you this morning? Where are you this morning? I am in Brooklyn. Where? I am in Manhattan, so we're pretty close. Oh, we're neighbors. <laughs> Although you're 
are you you're based in Denver, right? Or do you I mean you have such a global empire now? Where, yeah, where are well, I, my corporate office is in Denver. I was living in Miami. Right now I relocated to New York for um you know, my kids just started working with me, so they're based here. So I decided to come to New York for a year and, and then uh I'm not sure what uh where I will be next. But like you said, I, my restaurants are all over the world, so I spend a lot of time on the road. Yeah, how many restaurants do you have now? I think over 60 now. You think? Well, you know, we might have opened something last week that I that I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand how that is. You're yeah. you are a busy man. Yeah. And then sometimes um, some some close, you know, so but uh yeah, I think yeah, we have I think it was an exact number, I think it's about 61. And where where are they? So they expand, you know, um, you know, Mexico. We have well, obviously North America, a lot of most of them in the United States. We have Europe. Uh, we have in Europe, we have Serbia, um, we have Belgrade opening in Malta, Istanbul. Then we're in the UAE. We're in Dubai. We're in Abu Dhabi, and then we're in Doha, and we are in Africa in Marrakesh. My goodness! And so, what are the the uh, relationships with local people there do you are they joint ventures does it kind of depend how how does it work i think that they, they vary but um you know over the last five years you know we've become more of a licensing company so you know we get hired by owners of hotels not necessarily the brand to come into their properties work with the brand whether it's four seasons which carlton's kapinski's and you know do the signature restaurant within the restaurant and you know what does licensing mean is that you know we get uh kind of a, what we call a development fee to develop the brand for them. And then you have an ongoing licensing fee, you know, which they pay, um, you know, yearly to, for kind of oversight. You know, the, the owners kind of look at this as an insurance policy that once we, you know, create a restaurant within their property, that it stays true to what it's brand. You know, the, unfortunately with hotels is, you know, people are always moving around to grow within their company, right? Chefs you know, typically spend two years on a property and they move to another bigger property to kind of evolve their careers. And sometimes when that happens is the restaurants kind of get diluted when a new person comes in, you know, they start kind of tweaking it. And sometimes, you know, they don't stay true to what they are. So we're kind of that insurance policy that the hotel cannot change the brand of the concept unless, you know, we, you know, we're, you know, we approve it and, and all the menus and everything come through us. So it's, it's a bit like a franchise. It's similar, very similar to a franchise, exactly. Only there's always always different people, different characters, different personalities. <laughs> right, just like franchisees. Yeah, exactly. Same. <laughs> uh, so was that was this your plan when you were a a young fella who maybe thought he wanted to be a chef? He thought, you know what, I'm going to be. I'm going to be a uh, multi concept restaurant operator with dozens of operations across the planet. Was that your plan? Never crossed my mind. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a funny story. The thing is, you know, I, I'm, I wanted to be a, a professional tennis player. So, you know, I was very successful playing in Mexico at the age of 13. I, my mother was living in California. I moved to California to kind of, you know, progress my, my tennis career. And, you know, something happened at that time that impacted me as, you know, my, I think it was my second day in, in grade school. I was going into seventh grade and I was this young kid from Mexico, scared, new country, you know, spoke the language, but still, I mean, it was, it was in a strange place. And I remember looking at the menu and, you know, and I saw tacos on the menu, right? And I was like, wow, you know, well, actually in this country, they, they do have some connection to Mexico. And obviously we go to the cafeteria and, and I see this hard shell kind of looking thing with, you know, with some shredded lettuce and, 
you know, nice tomatoes. And I was, wow, that, I mean, that's, you know, I was in Mexico last week and those were not the tacos I was eating. <laughs> right. So at, at that point in my life, without me knowing I was going to be in the hospitality industry, I said, God, how I wish that someday I can change people's perception of what, you know, our food, our culture is in Mexico. Because also at that time, I remember, you know, most people that were in Mex uh, in the U.S. from Mexico were laborers, right? They were, you know, coming here, they migrated to kind of, you know, send books. So I think people had this perception that, you know, all Mexicans kind of stereotype. And, and the food was this way. So at that point, I said, hopefully one day, you know, I, I can participate in changing people's perception. And, you know, here we are 40, 50 years later and, you know, helping. Yeah, making progress. Yeah, I, 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 progress. I, I grew up in Denver, okay. and which has a very large Hispanic population, of course, mostly right. Mexican. Uh, but because of those stereotypes, I mean, I just assumed that Mexicans were poor. So, you know, when I when I went to culinary school in France and I met my first like rich Mexicans, I, mean, right. I was old enough to know better. I was 18 when I when I got to France and, I, and my brain was like, what do you mean, rich Mexicans? How can that be? <laughs> Which is just beyond ridiculous. And I will willingly, yeah. you know, acknowledge my my stupidity of the past and hope that I've made progress. And, well, and I think also, you know, when people did go to Mexico, you know, they went. You know, as tourists, they went to you know, to beach resorts where they all they did was drink tequila and have fun and, and went to the kind of tourist restaurants, which they, they kind of said, well, you know, in America, you know, Tex-Mex is, 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 is what they know. So let's let's cater our restaurants to the Tex-Mex. So, so they kind of didn't go outside of their comfort zone and were in these restaurants eating the same stuff. I mean, where, if you went into Mexico City, you know, where the locals ate and I mean, like every country, you know, it's, it's a totally different culture of what people Think the culture is yeah so you're you're right i mean yeah people every every thought every mexican was poor and um yeah it's a unique experience for sure when i hadn't thought about that i i've only actually been to mexico a couple of times but i was in culiacan and matamoro so i was not in touristy places although we stopped by uh mazatlan okay but it didn't even occur to me that the food in resort towns could very much be like tex-mex because they're catering to american tourists so it's not even, they're not even having Mexican food in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, everything was molded around the Tex-Mex, right? You had Senor Frogs and all these kind of fun places that, yeah, I mean, it was all fajitas, burritos, kind of what nachos, kind of what people, you know, were, were used to eating. And, and so, yeah, that's kind of what happened. I actually had fajitas in Culiacan. Well, I, right. They took us to some kind of, I don't know, fancy restaurant and we had fajitas with much better vegetables, you know, like whole right. scallions and things and like, you know. Nicely, you know. nicely executed. Yes. So, um, I and and obviously there's been cultural dialogue between the U.S. and Mexico forever. So both countries influence each other's cuisine a lot. So yeah, exactly. And 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 so now now you fast forward and you look what's happening today with Mexican cuisine around the world, and it's just kind of spiked up, right? I mean now you see in the San Pellegrino list of top restaurants in the world, we have five Mexican chefs. So I think, you know, over the, the progression that we've seen over the last 10 years is, is, is spectacular. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, I think Mexico's seen from a different lens today. One and also, wise. absolutely. And, and on some level, Tex-Mex has sort of gotten, like we used to think of it as bastardized Mexican food rather than its own thing. And it's really its own thing. And it was invented by Mexicans, just Mexicans who live north of the border. So And I always and I always said that, you know, it's 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 uh, you know, no one ever said it's bad. It's just it's it's bastardizing another cuisine, right? They they have their own identity and it's great. I mean, it's beans, rice, you know, I mean you have the sour cream which balances it. So they, they, it was it was actually thought through very well, right? And they have the same textures, balances, just you know, in a more casual, you know, fun way. 
but that it's never it was never said that it was bad but people kind of started saying well this is not mexican that's that well, you know it's a, it's a different thing <laughs> except it for what it is although when i was in uh brownsville apparently the custom there is to put olives in their margaritas and they call them i think mexican martinis or something like that but no, thank you. I mean, I like salt in my margaritas, but the but olives, on the rim. <laughs> yes, the, the olives yeah. didn't really work for me. But apparently, that's we got them a bunch of places, and I I obviously asked, "What are you doing? Why are you putting olives in the margaritas?" Sometimes, you know, sometimes craziness people try just to create things just for the sake of creating, right? Not thinking right. what what it does or what happens, what the reaction is. True. It's a while ago, so it's before I would have posted it on Instagram, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> still the custom it's a whole so different you, story right instagram now and so you you moved to california and you were like interesting these things in shells with lettuce and tomatoes you call them tacos huh how, how did that translate or was that sort of the catalyst that got you into becoming a chef and you know that's kind of a motto that we use as our company culture and our mission statements is that, that that was kind of a catalyst for me you know fast forward when i decided to get into the re restaurant industry and say well you know, I remember at that time, you know, because it always stood in my head and I said, so how do I help change that perception? And, you know, and that was what, you know, 40 years ago, you know, 10, 10 years later in my 20s, when I moved to, to New York, you know, to open my first restaurant, you know, Mexican food was still seen as, you know, almost Tex-Mexy, not, you know, nothing, 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 nothing crazy. So I think back and I said, well, you know, you know, now I got to start kind of introducing people and slowly guiding them to taste different things, you know, you know, a, a mole, a, a pipián, um, you know, these different, you know, matcha salsas, um, you know, tomatillos. I mean, so introduced and, and, and it was a, it was a big challenge because I remember when I, you know, even though my first restaurant in New York was not Mexican, you know, it's kind of like a French American, um, you know, that I kind of started testing the waters with, with two, you know, uh, uh, students that went to CIA with me. Um, you know, when I and, and kind of understand how New York worked, right? When, when I left Mexico and I told my father, you know, I'm leaving your restaurant, you know, that I had opened for him. I said, I'm going to New York. You know, he said, well, son, I think, you know, you, you're going to come back with your tail between your legs in about a year. We're you know, looking for work. So, you know, good luck, but I'll see you back here. <laughs> so I said, let me go to New York and learn a little bit of what, you know, the press is, you know, how, the, you know, because at that time you had Eric Asimov, you had uh, Ruth Reich, you know, doing reviews. And that was a the most impactful thing in, in, in your business, right? Whether you succeeded or kind of, you, you know, how your, your curve grew. Um, and, you know, when I, and then that's my second one, I, I opened Maya and, and I was getting, you know, my first two reviews were like one-star reviews because they were comparing me to Tex-Mex. I said, well, why did we go to Maya and spend, you know, $45 when I can go to Margaritaville and spend 15, you know, still, still could not differentiate between Tex-Mex and Mexican. Once I started going to the prison saying, listen, I'm using the same proteins. I'm using the, you know, except I'm using cilantro in, instead of thyme. You know, I'm using, you know, crema fresca instead of, um, you know, creme fraiche. You know, I'm, but I'm, I'm using lamb. I'm using lobster. I'm using the same things. I'm just introducing these Latin, you know, you know ingredients into it. And that once people kind of made that connection, you know, things changed. Things changed. You know, and then Ruth Reichel came in, gave me two stars. And then, and then Maya just spiked and went, you know, and, 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 and went crazy at that time. I mean, considering how recently an Italian restaurant in, got a four-star review in the New York Times, it was Del Posto like 10, 15 years ago. Like before that, it was French. And, you know, I think once Ruth Reichel gave maybe three stars to a Japanese restaurant and people lost their minds or like, we don't know what's happening. 
And that was 25 years ago, which isn't that long ago. But no, 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 exactly. And even back then, I mean, you know, Italian was looked as, you know, pizzas, pastas, you know, how do you go to an Italian restaurant and spend $50? You know, people could not fathom it. So it took some time for that learning curve, even in that cuisine, right? Um, and I think even French, I mean, it went from, the, you, you know, the classic to the modern and they went through a growing curve. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I think Mexico, you know, in my, in my eyes, you know, had to go through that uh, change of perception through that learning curve and that growth curve. And I think today, you know, we I think it's there. So your first restaurant, it sounds like, was in Mexico that you opened for your father. It was that... in Acapulco, correct. In Acapulco. And so what what was that restaurant? So, so he had a very famous restaurant called Madeiras, which was on top of the hill overseeing, you know, the whole the whole bay. Oh. And when I graduated, I went to work with him. I, you know, I was actually helping with that. And then I opened an Italian restaurant for him, which was actually actually his second restaurant. So you grew up in a restaurant family. I grew up in a restaurant family. Correct. Oh, all right. So that more things are falling into place now. And what what was your first restaurant in New York? It was called Savan. It was on uh, 89th in Amsterdam. And it was funny because I, you know, it was, you know, it was three of us. You know, one was his name was Danforth, one was Mark Freck, and it was me. Danforth had, you know, you know, worked with David Boulay, um, you know, at, at River Cafe, and Mark had worked with 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 Mario Batali at at, at Poe. When I decided to come in, you know, come to move to New York, you know, you know, I had a little bit of money, and you know, I said, I, I, I talked to them. I said, listen, why don't, why don't we go up in this, you know, you know small restaurant upper west side and so it was kind of a it was a kind of his you know danforth more american mark more mediterranean italian and me kind of start playing around with you know some latin flavors and ingredients and and then after that you open maya and then after i opened one more called savannes on the east side and then my third one was actually that was maya right where I, I'm pretty sure I ate, but it was so long ago that I don't. Yeah, I mean, Maya today is, so I think, 25 years old. <laughs> and still up and running. It's still up and running, thriving. And then you relocated to Denver. Is that right? Well, then I, the company started to evolve, started to grow. And then, you know, going back to your questions, then I got into, I think after my fourth restaurant, I got into licensing. So I got a taste of licensing. And my first licensing deal was in Las Vegas at the Treasure Island, the restaurant called Isla. Um and then at some point at that time, I decided to, then I opened a couple of restaurants in Denver um, and I started to travel a lot. And so I said, you know, let me move closer to California where my mother was living and my wife's you know, mother was there. And so I said, well, you know, Denver is very central. I have restaurants here. Let's relocate our office there. And that's when we, you know, chose to, you know, centralize everything in, in Denver, Colorado. I see. Makes sense. Um, so I understand you are about to launch a mentorship program. Can you tell me about that? Correct. Well, you know, you know, kind of when, you know, when I started in the restaurant business, you know, it was kind of, for me, it was all more about, you know, old ways and new hands. So I wasn't recreating or reinventing something, but it was kind of, you know, all my, you know, food experiences in Mexico, which was with my grandmother. So my parents had divorced. My mother had moved to, to California. My father was in Mexico. I was spending a lot of time in my, in, in my grandmother's house. Um, my grandmother, you know, which obviously in our culture, you know, there's a matriarch. She's the matriarch of the house. And, you know, everything really evolved around food. I mean, I remember going into the kitchen, sitting, the, the, the cooks would put me on the counter and then they were cooking and then be, and I'd be tasting. And it's funny because at that time, you know, I remember them very vividly how they would taste everything. And I was like, wow, I mean, why, why? That's kind of funny. But so as they were cooking, they were giving me to taste and they say, look, look, look at this. Look how this tastes. Well, this needs a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So without me knowing I was going to become a chef, you know, 20 years later, I mean, my palate was beginning to experience these, you know, different things. You know, her, my grandfather was a banker, big parties at her house, you know, 
you know, European butters that, you know, cheeses, wines, all these things that you would never normally see in Mexico. But, you know, being that my grandfather was uh, entertained a lot, um, you know, so I spent a lot of you know, time there. And so, again, you know, Saturdays were big tables of 15, 20 people with moles, pipian, five, six courses, you know, family style where she'd set the kind of the table, she'd serve, the place would get passed around. But at that time, I was getting a huge, huge exposure. And she was an amazing cook and all the cooks she had at her house. So, so old ways was, you know, kind of all these old recipes, classics, flavors that I was, that I'd learned there. Now me, you know, having gone to CIA and trained, you know, new hands. So it was old ways and new hands. Right. And I think my career has been built in you know, three phases. You know, the first one was, you know, learning. Um, then I spent the next 25 years building. And I think now the third is, you know, kind of give back, you know, everything that I, that I've learned, um, you know, I kind of want to, want to give back to future generations. My two kids just started working with me. You know, my daughter um, went to Cornell, started hospitality. She just joined the company and my son went to CIA, worked with John George for about a year, year and a half. And so, so this mentorship that I'm giving them, I said, well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, God would really get out of, you know, my 25 or 30 years in the industry and pick my brain and kind of show them, you know, how I did it because, you know, building 60 restaurants around the globe is, is, is no easy task, right? So, you know, how did I do it? And so I think there's a lot of information inside my brain that I can now kind of, kind of share with people. And, you know, whether you're a chef, you're, you know, you're, you kind of want to be a chef or you're thinking about getting in the industry, you know, it's giving back to these people, you know, everything that I acquired in, in, in my career, you know, the last 30 years. So what, under, what form does that take, this mentorship program? Right. So what we're doing is, um, you know, kind of it's, um, you know, applications open, you know, because of, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, I think last, last Friday. So you go into a portal um, and then there you're, you're able to apply. And then from all these applications, you know, we're going to pick, I think it's five, you know, um, chefs or um, a culinarians that, that uh, you know, that want to be part of this mentorship program. And they're going to spend, you know, three or four days with me in, in Mexico. Um, we're going to travel, you know, you know, we're going to cook. Then we'll have some, you know, some, some business, you know, meetings with some, you know, some of my executives also, so they can also pick their brains about business, what they learned from me, how, you know, how, how, how we did things. And then whatever, you know, some of these recipes and things also that we create, you know, we'll kind of relocate in some of my restaurants worldwide. So kind of what they do and they help create with me, then we'll kind of, you know, give an opportunity to be part of, uh, you know, my world in my restaurant. So again, the mentorship program is we pick them, they come with me, and then over three or four days, they'll be able to spend some time with me and understand you know, how I think, you know, how I did what I did. And probably you'll then offer them a job since I'm sure you're always looking for people. A hundred percent. It's almost like also like a re recruiting, right? Mentorship program. <laughs> sure. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Is this the I mean, first time you've, you've done something like this? It is. Yes. So something to look forward to. That's fun. Yeah, hundred percent. It's the first time I think in my career that I've, that I've, that I've been able to kind of take up a breather, right? Um, you know, I've been so busy, you know, traveling and building, you know, all the restaurants that I think it's the first time that I'm able to step back. And now, again, you know, as my career takes a different phase, is you know, how do I give back now? Great. Now, I'm I'm intrigued that you would sit on the kitchen counter while your grandmother was cooking, because I have this. Uh, stereotypical notion of Mexican culture that the women do the cooking and the men do not do the cooking. So, so were they concerned about corrupting you by like teaching you about how things taste and stuff like that? Or am I just, uh, 
ignorant and don't understand Mexican. Now you're a hundred percent right. But luckily, you know, you, I was a you know nine year old boy kid, right? That, that they didn't see me as a man or someone that was intruding into their things, right? I was this young kid that was just there. And they were kind of taking care of me. So, hey, well, you know, instead of, you know, me running around the house, I'd say, hey, sit here on the counter, you know? And so, and I guess just, you know, some, my intuition kind of said, you know, and they were just, I mean, literally, I mean, they would pass spoons of, of things, you know, whether it was beans and, and things, you know, and, and I mean, that's one thing that stuck to me. I remember when they were cooking beans, you know, they were, they were seasoning them and salting them. You know, you see a lot of people today, I mean, you know, they, they, they do beans, they just throw water on it. No, but I mean, and I remember that time that I would taste the bean and it had absorbed the saltiness of, of, of the water. It's a whole, a whole different experience when you taste something that's seasoned, that when you season, you know, you know something like that toward it, where it just kind of goes on the outside, it's really not absorbed, right? And these ladies were kind of just doing these things. I mean, they were making, you know, handmade tortillas. I mean, at that time, everything was made from scratch. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was, yeah, it was an incredible, but to, to answer your question, um, I mean, I was a little kid, you know, they didn't, they didn't see me as someone I was going in there to, you know, because also the, these ladies are very protective of the recipes, right? They don't I mean, even my grandmother, I mean, she had like this notebook with hand note, written notes of all the recipes. She wouldn't share it with anybody. <laughs> you know, that, that cracks me up. My, my grandmother would not share her cookie recipe with anybody. Uh, and to teach somebody how to do it, she would take them into her kitchen. Like her, my, my, I doubt my mother ever did that because my mom hated cooking, but uh, her daughter, for example, she would actually have to physically show her how to make these cookies. Very secret recipe. And then I went to culinary school and then I looked at the recipe and I said, oh, it's a sable. And it's, that's all it is. It's a sable. Right. And yet it was a secret recipe. <laughs> and it, it just, in retrospect, it cracks me up. They're delicious. They're wonderful. Sable, uh, spread with jam and then rolled in powdered sugar. Like, fantastic. But, you know. It's... That's the thing. I think, you know, back then, I mean, women cooked with, with soul, with love, right? Everything was cooked, you know, it, was, it wasn't just following a recipe. Right. Uh, I think that's what made it special and different. Yeah, absolutely. And that is how the best cooking is. You know, you just cook but as a as a restaurant magnate such as yourself possibly with 61 restaurants nobody knows for sure you um have to standardize things did you start i guess in any restaurant if you're gonna have well maybe in what with one location you can just cook like like chefs but after that you kind of have to standardize stuff was, was that a process that you had to figure out or did you already know it because you came from a restaurant family? no no i mean I, I again i mean i made a lot of mistakes and, and and i think i mean to be able to share all my experiences because i, I made a lot of these mistakes right so I, I, you, you hope you can you can translate that to people and they don't make the same things and learn from these things so yeah i mean it was a you know uh uh you know hit and miss kind of you know thing and and you know, have processes in place, you know, checks and balances um, to make things, you know, line checks or introduce line checks. Because I always, you know, what made me successful is that I was always cooking with my palate. I was always tasting everything. I remember in Maya, I'd, I'd sit in the middle of the line and every plate, you know, came by my palate. I would taste everything, whether it was a piece of lettuce or I would, I mean, I would touch a piece of protein, you know, with my finger and to make sure it was seasoned. So I, every, I was tasting everything through me. And then everything that came into the kitchen also went through me to see if the plates were clean, to see if there was an issue. You know, if I, if I saw a plate that was not fully, you know, finished, I said, Hey, what happened with this? You know, something, something was wrong here. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and so going to, you know, to my restaurants, I've, I've tried to teach all my chefs and everything to teach, you know, with, with, with their 
palates to always have, if you go into our kitchens, you have tasting spoons everywhere. And I raise hell when I go in there and I'm tasting, I say, taste this, why, why do you see what's wrong with this? And they always catch on and I say, well, why, why aren't you tasting? Um, and, and, it, and it is a big challenge because not, not everybody understands that, that culture, right? Um, but I've tried to do the best that I can. You know, we do line checks. You know, we have our assistant managers do line checks to check, check the consistency of the, of the product. Well, that's cool. Um, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned recipes, which is something every once in a while I come across chefs who are like, no, I can't tell you how this is made. It's a secret or something like that. And yet it seems to me that that what makes a good restaurant is consistency. And it's not, here's my secret recipe. It's here's how you do it 50 times every night, maybe at 20 different locations. And that's something that you just have to, I think, keep your eye on every day. But I don't know. I don't run restaurants. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, 100%, you got to share. I mean, you, the key word that you said is consistency. That's That's what makes you successful, right? People come in and they like something and they remember and they, and they'll keep coming back. Right. And they'll tell other people and the second time they come in, it's totally different, you know, because you're, you're not there to share the recipe or put the secret ingredient and it's not going to work because then it's going to be very, very inconsistent. And I think sometimes people don't understand that, that, yeah, if you want to go from one, two to three to four, you got to share, you got to share your, your knowledge, you got to share your recipes and, and you got to coach people. You got to teach them in order to, to be consistent and successful. And yet you also, I'm sure, have chefs who have, you know, their own egos and their own personalities. So, oh, really? <laughs> you know, I've, I've noticed that in some chefs. So, and I'm sure you, you need to give them some kind of freedom to create and be themselves and whatever. So how do you, how do you maintain the Richard Sandoval brand while also allowing the chefs to, to do their chefing? Right. So, so, so a couple of things. The first thing is, you know, when, when we hire a chef, we say, listen, first, you're going to learn what we do, you know, do that perfect, do, you know, do that consistently day in and day in, day out. Then once you understand our profiles of how I think about food, then you can start creating and, and we'll let you work on specials. Right. So, you know, you, you know, and, and we taste them first. And sometimes I get pictures, you know, cause I can see through a picture. I obviously I can't taste it, but I can see the, you know, the, 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 the creation, right. To me, a plate and I explained to him, it's, it's a canvas where you, you know, you have your actor and then you have your supporting actors around that. And I can really, I can tell if, if they're thinking correctly, right. As, as how they're, you know, getting that main actor and supporting it with, you know, the different, different, different in, ingredients. Um, and, and then after that, you know, then, then I, I do what's called collaborations. So, you know, once they've done through this process, they can start collaborating with me and my culinary team, whether it's our, our, our conferences. And then, you know, they'll participate with dishes. They'll come and they'll propose what, you know, what, what they want to incorporate into the next menu. And then we'll give them some, you know, some direction. But they do have to stay under a certain umbrella and certain guidelines, because I think when they come to my restaurants, you know, our restaurants, I think there's an expectation of, what Richard does, right? His, you know, his flavors, his profiles and things like that. So, so typically if it's someone, you know, sometimes I have chefs, this is just a stepping stone to their next thing. They want to come and learn, you know, why, why we're successful at what we do and they're creators and, you know, it's a two-year gig and then they, they move on. Um, but a lot of my chefs, I mean, you know, you know, have started, you know, they came to this country as laborers, they started as dishwashers, they, they became prep cooks, they became garmanger, they became line cooks. And today they are chefs and they've been with me for 20, 25 years. Awesome. Built with me. That's tremendous and great. And I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah. And I, also, I, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, it, it, I would think it also builds loyalty and allows you to, you know, keep talent, which is difficult. A hundred percent. And I think I'm only as successful as, and the reason I am successful is because these people and these people that stayed with me and, you know, cause I could do one restaurant, two restaurants, like you said, and stay there and control and taste every day, come in, you know, in the morning and then leave. But for, in order for me to build, I had to build loyalty. I had to build passion. And so, you know, it had to be with these guys that, that understood what my vision was. And, and they, they also saw, you know, a career path and, you know, as, you know, coming here as laborers where they grew and, you know, now they're making, you know, you know, much better salaries, they're traveling and, you know, they're doing things. And that's how yeah, I was able to create loyalty. I bet those conferences you have where everyone comes together, I bet those are really fun. They are really fun. And, not, and I'm, I'm actually changing, you know, changing the process a little bit before it was just like one big, like I was two, two big conferences twice a year. We'd meet somewhere around the world, you know, and it'd be about, you know, 20, 25 chefs and we sit there, you know, we'd cook then they would present to me, you know, and then we kind of, from there, we kind of narrowed it down to, you know, our, our, our dishes that we're going to, you know, incorporate into all of our menus. Today, you know, I'm building two Congresses, a beverage Congress and a, and a, and a, and a food Congress, culinary Congress, which would be incorporated of six, seven people. It will change every, every year. And these will be like kind of my research and development teams. You know, they'll get them from some hotels, from our, our, our own restaurants. And again, they'll meet twice a year to kind of create and, and, uh, and be part of this culinary congress, which then it kind of is our research and development team. And so it gets them excited. They get to travel, and then they get to see some of their creativities on our menus. That's neat. What and it's interesting that you have decided to have a special uh, meeting for beverages. Why is that? Well, I think as we all know, I mean, you know, today restaurants are lifestyles, right? I think when you and I went to culinary school, we went to cook and. You know, we'd do a restaurant and we'd serve some wine, you know, a couple of the classic cocktails, but it was all about the food, really. <laughs> Today, I think it's about 40 to 50 percent about the food. And then, you know, you have to have the, you got to get the music right. You got to get the design right. You got to get the mixology right. So mixology is a, is a huge part of what, what we do today. Um, you know, you have to stay current. You have to be innovative, innovative. Um, and so, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, to me, it was a very important part of, you know, having the culinary and, and, and the beverage congresses and mixology is a very important part today. And I assume also a lot more profitable than food for the most part. Oh, yep. A lot more profitable. Well, and let me tell you, I mean, the costs are getting high now with these, you know, these, these egomaniac mixologists, just like chefs now, you know, they're, they're putting all these crazy ingredients and smokers and glassware, you know, so it's getting up there. It's still more profitable, but you know, they're slowly moving the needle, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But if you can charge for it, then that's fine. Yeah, exactly. I assume. Yeah. Um. So Hispanic Heritage Month started on the 15th and right now it is the 18th. So yeah, Friday. Right. It started on the same day as Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. That's interesting. Weird, yes. Weird coincidence. Um, and then uh, I understand you have a Dia de los Muertos thing starting in October. Yeah. Right? So, every, so every, every year we, we do like a big Dia de los Muertos kind of campaign, you know, globally where, I mean, it's, it's it, obviously it's a, it's a big celebration in Mexico. You know, for us, it's a celebration of life. It's uh, our ancestors are kind of, you know, no longer with us, but to kind of, you know, you know, how do you keep these people alive is by remembering them, right? So every year we kind of remember them and we build these beautiful altars, altars, sorry. Um, and then, you know, we put food around them and then at Los Muertos, we kind of, you know, sip some tequila, eat some of the food that they, you know, that they liked. And this is kind of a remembrance, right? How we, you know, how we remember them. So every year, you know, we have kind of different initiatives. I mean, this year it's kind of, uh, you know, exploring boundaries between the physical 
in the spiritual world. And so, you know, we'll, you know, dive into that and then, you know, create some cocktails and, and some, you know, entrees kind of based on that. You know, we'll have partnership with some musicians, some, you know, some chefs. So it's all about kind of, kind of you know, collabor collaborating, integrating, and then also spreading this, you know, around the world, um, you know, throughout our restaurants. And again, it also kind of, you know, um, divulges and kind of, you know, gives more exposure to Latin culture, which at the end is kind of my, my ultimate globe goal. I mean, um, well, my, my ultimate goal is to kind of, you know, expose people to as much as I can to, you know, to Mexico, to my culture and to my food. So, and you know, everybody loves this Dia de los Muertos, um, you know, celebration. And Dia de, Dia de los Muertos, which means Day of the Dead, Day is the Dead. day after Halloween. Is that right? Correct. So it's the same as All Saints Day, which is a big thing yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Similar exactly. kind of idea. And again, cultural dialogue, like a lot of these conversations have been ha happening for a long time. So it's interesting to see how uh, those different cultures influence each other. It's a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, and like I said, it keeps the conversation open and alive, right? Right. Uh, so what? We're almost out of time, but what else is uh, on your agenda? What you doing? So, so, so um, you know, have obviously, a, you know, a few projects coming up. Um, you know, we have a, we have the Four Seasons in Cabo San Lucas. We're doing a, a Nikkei restaurant. So I'm actually going to Peru, you know, in a few weeks to do a little bit of research on Nikkei cuisine. Um, we are opening a Toro in Malta. Uh, I'm very excited about a restaurant called Casa Chi that we're doing at the Intercontinental in Miami. I mean, in Chicago, um, you know, they gave me a, a beautiful corner on Michi Michigan Avenue, but without a kitchen, right? So they said, here, go at it. Um, you know, what, you know, see what you can do here. It's a great location. Um, so I'm creating what, you know, Casa Chi, you know, uh, Chi in, in uh, Japanese means earth. So it's some building kind of something birth, uh, around earth and fire, right? fire and ice um and so i'm doing a lot of you know, um, hot stones where you'll be able to kind of sear your your meat we're going to sell different types of, of beef by the ounce you know very thinly sliced so you can create your table we'll probably have eight nine different types and then some you know some sushi some ceviches um but again kind of a collaboration between you know asian and latin it's going to be the first kind of bar that i'm doing you know more beverage centric than actually food it's going to be very bar centric with you know bites of of, of food um, and then I had a couple more projects, I think Toro, Toro at the Fairmont in Chicago. So yeah, we have about four or five projects opening up in the net over the next six, seven months. So staying busy. Yeah, they sound interesting. And Nikkei cuisine for, for people who don't know is Japanese influenced Peruvian cuisine. Is that Correct. right? Yep. So yep. That, that's fun moving into Peruvian cuisine and, and Casa Chi sounds like it's going to be sort of Mexican Japanese kind of, is that? Exactly. Yeah. More down those lines. Well, you know, you know, Toro, Toro, which opened in, which you know, opened in Dubai 15 years ago, I started kind of, you know, diving into more of, you know, South Central cuisine, you know, Toro, Toro, when I did Toro, Toro was more, I think everybody knew Mexican. But not that many people knew about Peruvian, Colombian, Amazonic. So all these cuisines have incredible things on, on uh, you know, in, in their in their cultures, and and nobody knows much about it. So when I did Toro Toro, I kind of left it. You know, it was, it was a kitchen without boundaries. Um, you know, spent time in South Central America, and so kind of started introducing people to these other cuisines that had very little presence. You know, uh, you know, in our country here. Exciting, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else is. Uh... Coming up, and I'm sure I'll be hearing more about what the Richard Sandoval Group is doing. 
Uh, thank you a lot for taking the time to speak with me and I uh, hope to see you in real life soon. Thank you. I appreciate that for inviting me. And uh, yeah, you'll probably hear more about my kids as I, as I slowly you know, become to get into the background. So you'll hear about Isabella and Giancarlo Sandoval. <laughs> nice. And dropping their names. Very good. Thank you. Congratulations in advance to uh, Isabel, you said, and Giancarlo? Isabella and Giancarlo, yes. Isabel and Giancarlo. Great. Well, thank you. I appreciate it.